If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We'll be looking at four different scriptures. We'll be in the Old Testament. We'll be in the New Testament. Our sermon this morning is entitled, A Midnight Hour, or A Midnight Cry. We're looking at the word midnight this morning. Very unusual word. Not one you would think about that you would want to focus in on. But this morning, we're going to look at the word midnight. Several years ago, I'll never forget Michael English, along with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Sister Ellen, you probably remember this. Sang out a beautiful song, The Midnight Cry. And I tell you, they would you could almost feel it. It would seem as if, as they were singing, that it was fixing to happen when Jesus would come and rapture his people up. A beautiful, beautiful song and a beautiful rendition that they did of this wonderful song, The Midnight Cry. The word midnight is in the King James Version is mentioned eight times in the Old Testament and six times in the New Testament. Probably in the other translations, maybe more than that. But the word midnight, if you were to go to Webster's Dictionary, the word midnight, number one, would be the midnight hour. Kind of typical that you would think the midnight hour or 12 o'clock at night. But it has a second definition that also means deep or extended darkness or gloom. Deep, distended darkness or gloom. How many of you ever gotten sick at midnight? Several weeks ago, I got a, a bug. I don't know if it was a stomach bug or, or what, but it hit me about one o'clock in the morning. And folks, nothing makes a bug feel better than to what? See daylight come. Dr. Pender, I, as soon as I thought I knew his, he had to take his kids to school, as soon as I thought he was up and was getting his kids ready to school, I was on the phone to him. And I said, buddy, it's daylight. Get to my house right now. Get your potent medicine out and help me out. The midnight is over. Daylight is here. And now I want some help. Deep darkness or gloom. The word midnight is, generally speaking, is a time when the world around us sleeps and slumbers. It's a sort of a in-between time. Midnight is a time when the yesterday has passed. Things that have happened in yesterday are history. We cannot change them. We cannot alter what has happened yesterday. We are at midnight now. But also midnight signifies future. Something that we can look forward to tomorrow. Something that we could set our goals on or look out for in the future. But in between history and in between future, we have what we call midnight. The midnight cry. The possibilities of tomorrow have not yet arrived. But in between the two, the world sleeps, or most of us are asleep at midnight. It's, but things happen at midnight. If you don't believe me, look at your paper tomorrow. And whatever tragedy happens over the weekend, read the timeline. It'll probably happen while most of you are asleep in your beds at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, even though lately it seems like the news has recognized it's been happening in broad daylight. But majority speaking, things happen 
whether good or bad, babies are born in the middle of the night. Good things happen in the middle of the night. But bad things happen as well in the middle of the night. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I want to look at four, four areas where the Bible speaks about midnight. And I want to look at four cries that are extended out during these midnight hours. Before we do that, will you bow your head as we go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, we humbly bow at your feet this morning. We know that you are a great and awesome God, that you are here today because you love us, because you gave your life for us. Father, we're so grateful that we can come and sing this morning and rejoice and praise God. It is also a joy this morning to open your word. It's not by my might, by my power, but it's by your spirit that we open the word of God. Father, we ask that you anoint the words that are spoken and the ears that receive it this morning. In your name we pray and everyone says amen and amen. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is teaching of a parable, a parable of prayer. And you got to understand, in Palestine times, often people would travel at midnight. If you've been out in the sun this week, you will understand why people would travel at midnight. It's very hot. And so people would oftentimes travel at midnight. And this particular illustration of Gentleman was traveling at midnight, and he needed a loaf of bread, so he went to his friend's house. And his friend did not have any bread to set before him. The bread was normally made in the home there, but they would only make enough bread that would suffice him for that particular day. If he had known he was having company, he would have probably made an extra loaf of bread. But he had no idea that he was going to have company. So he came and he asked for bread. And there, the friend, he had no bread to set before him. So the friend goes to his friend. Now, generally speaking, the doors were open in these times. In the daytime, the doors would be open. You were free to come and go throughout the houses, these one-bedroom, one-room homes. You were free to go throughout these homes. And, um, but if you saw the door closed, that means that a particular individual did not want to be disturbed. If the door was closed, that means it was bedtime. And the family would gather in these one rooms, and the children and the, the parents, they would all seat together on these, on these uh, straw floors. And, and um, it was here, they would have maybe the stove burning up on, on another level. But they would sleep together. If it was cold, they would invite the animals in, and the animals would come and join them. So if the door was closed, that means please don't disturb us, because if you disturb one of us, You disturb the whole household because if the father had to get up, he had to get up and there the whole household would be disturbed. The animals would be disturbed. And so it was generally a courtesy to if you saw a door shut to allow to leave them alone in case unless it was a dire emergency. And here in this illustration, this parable that Jesus sets before us, this is an emergency that this gentleman has come to in his time of life. And he says in verse number five, Jesus says, And he said unto them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at when? At when? And say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. 
and my children are in my bed and cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It was midnight. The shops were closed. The man was not prepared for company. He probably would have been prepared if he had expected company, but he was not prepared for company. So he said to himself, what shall I do? And this gave rise, as Jesus is teaching here, a prayer. This gave rise to very important prayer. This is a cry of need. This is a midnight cry that I need something in this particular hour. The prayers oftentimes in our lives, prayers come sudden. Urgent prayer is a prayer arising out of a sense of great need. This man needed bread at this particular time. So the, the parable here is teaching of a prayer and is teaching of a great need. There was a great need. And when there's a great need, we go to the Lord in prayer. Can you say amen? Prayers come sudden. Prayers oftentimes come during pressing times. Let's be honest with it, folks. Now, I, I honor all of the great prayer warriors. I honor those people who make it a point in their daily life to spend an hour or two in their prayer closet. There's many of them out there. But generally speaking, most of us, we'd say our nightly prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. Lord, be with us and protect us. Amen. But we oftentimes, when it gets to a time of pressing need, what do we do? We pray. We don't diligently pray all of the time. But when the need arises, we get down in our prayer lives and when pressing need comes, we pray very diligently. We get down to business in our prayer life. When the midnight hour comes, when that doctor rings the phone and he doesn't say just everything looks OK. He says, come in and see me. We get down to our prayer life during these hours. We get down to our prayer life when we are in our home thinking we're safe and we hear those those invaders coming in or are coming to bring danger within our home. We pray. We get on our face before God. 1985, I'll never forget. I know hurricanes are no big deal to you people, but in South Georgia, a hurricane to sweep 100 miles off the coast is a big deal because you got 100, 150 foot pine trees that are big around as this. And they're all around your home and they don't have a deep root system. They have one tap root. All the roots are going top. But 1985, we had Hurricane Kate come through Thomasville. And there was only 75 mile an hour winds. But you get 75 mile an hour winds with these tall pine trees leaning back and forth. It's very nerve wracking. And there our home was littered with four pine trees laid on top of our home. Folks, this 10 year old, I'm sorry, I wasn't 10 then. This 15 year old prayed during this time. This wasn't a time to just look and marvel at these trees on my house. No, these trees were coming through my house and I was in the house and it was a time to pray. I think I got saved about a dozen times in that one night because the need was there in our lives that we needed to pray and seek God. Think about it. When your kids get sick, if you were to go to the shelves and get the fever reducer medicine, and it wasn't there on the shelves. This is before 24-hour stores. 
But you weren't able to go and get any medicine to give to that child. What did you do? You prayed. I heard a story my granddaddy shared several years ago when my mother's sister was a little tot. Several years ago. She's 70 now. So um, he was a little tot, probably two years old. And she would get these high fevers to the point of convulsions. And there was a particular evangelist was in the home at that time. And they were all praying. And this particular evangelist just went into the room, not knowing exactly any plan. But all he did was lit and laid hands on her and says, oh, God, protect Barbara. Heal Barbara from this fever. And within just a few moments, with just in a, a, a few spans of a few minutes, the fever was gone. Why? Because the prayer time was pressing. There was a great cry of a need that came into the life of them. He could have prayed earlier in the day, but think about it. There was no need to pray earlier in the day. If he would have prayed during the daytime, there was no, if the friend would have come during the daytime, he would have just gone down to the shop and got a loaf of bread. So there was no need to pray during midday. But there was a pressing need to pray during the midnight hour. But this parable teaches us is a parable of contrast. And it says, in effect, that even a man who has gone to bed and a man that does not want to be disturbed because he is warm and comfortable in his bed will rise and give his friend because he keeps on asking. He is persistent. He is adamant about his friend arising and giving him a bread. A friend. Well, if a friend will do that, how much more will your heavenly father do for you? Continue on in verse number nine. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it'll be open. Whether a father among you, if his son asks for a fish instead of a fish, gives him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Or if you then who are evil, you who are evil know how to get good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek him? Even the evil person, even the vicious person, even the person who runs up to no good will give his child what he wants. How much more will a heavenly father who went to the cross of Jesus Christ for you, if you would just ask, if you would just knock, if you would just seek, how much more will Jesus Christ give to you? But he'll give it to you even in the midnight hour. When the shops are closed, when the world is closed off, Jesus is there during the midnight hour. There's two things we can learn here. Number one is prepare ahead of time. Prepare ahead of time. Don't wait for the midnight hour. Prepare ahead of time. The second thing is be assured. Be absolutely assured. Be absolutely, without a doubt, understand that God is not asleep during the midnight hour and that he will hear our faintest cry. There is a cry of great need that comes during the midnight hour. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. You will see a great need, a great cry of anguish. There was a warning to escape the coming judgment. The hand of God's judgment was ready to 
fall, the tenth plague was immediate. Moses was called by the elders together to go and give instructions concerning the Passover. He spelled out exactly what God had told him. And the elders were to take this message that God had told them and were to take this message to those that they represented, that they represented. God's people had to be saved. The hand of God's judgment was to pass over all of those who would truly believe in him. But I want you to note five things here in this verse of scripture. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 21. Look at these instructions. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is a basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. Two things they were supposed to do. Kill the lamb, number one. They were also supposed to take a a, a, a fragrant, um, um, it was a, a plant that was often used in ritual times. And they would dip the plant in the blood. And they would mark the doorpost with the plant. And this was a signal that this house was of the house of Israel. That these people were protected. That these people were obeying God. They were also supposed to, very interesting, supposed to stay in the house. Why were they supposed to stay in the house? Two things. Number one was, when they stayed in the house... They were protected by the blood of Christ. That's a message within a message, but I'll say that for next time, okay? By staying in the house, they were protected. They covered themselves with the blood of Christ. But also, if they were to leave the home, they may miss the call to leave Egypt and go into the promised land. So God's strict instructions were, dip the blood, dip the hyssop on the blood, put it on the doorpost, and stay in your home. The next thing he says, verse number 23 For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. That took a lot of faith. They knew that the destroyer was coming to destroy those Egyptians, the firstborn of all the Egyptian home. So they knew that they had to put faith in God. And believe God that what he was saying, that the the knock was not going to come on their door. And that no one in their home would be destroyed. So they had to have great faith and believe what God said. Verse number 24. And you shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. God is telling Moses, you tell the people. You observe this Passover, but not only do you observe observe it now, you do it as an ordinance. You do it regularly. You do it repeatedly. Even when you get over into the promised land, you continue to observe the Passover. And also, he says, and your children say to them, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel And in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. So he's also saying, tell your children about it. Remind them what happened years ago before they were even born. Observe the Passover. And then finally, he says, and the people bow their heads and worship. Then the people of Israel went and did so. 
They obeyed God as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they had done. So these were the instructions that were given to Moses to spread to the people of Israel. But look what happens in verse number 29. At when? At when? The Lord struck down all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all of the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. I would imagine earlier in the day, in that Egyptian home, there was much rejoicing. There was much festivity. There was an attitude within them that everything was all right. That everything was going along as normal. That everything was going to just continue on in the future to be as normal. I would imagine this was a thought that was in the majority of the Egyptian home. But what happened? Then the midnight hour came. The hour of great, the cry of great anguish came to the, the Egyptian homes where the lintel, where the doorposts were not covered with the blood of Christ. Two things happened. Number one, judgment fell. It may have been a long, prosperous day, but the angel came. Listen, God had no choice in the matter. Judgment had to fall upon the Egyptian people, and fall it did. For during the midnight hour, great horror struck the town, the, the nation of Egypt, and all of the firstborn of Egypt were struck down. The firstborn of every family from the palace to the dungeon were taken sick. Every family that was prosperous and powerful and wealthy and those that were poor and weak was struck down because they were the, the, did not have the covering of Jesus Christ, the covering of the blood of the Lamb. And even the firstborn of every animal was dead. The very gods that Egypt worshipped, the, the, the animals, that the, the gods uh, that Egypt had made as their gods, every firstborn of the animals were struck down. This is the, the thing is this. Pharaoh had been told over and over and over again, repent, turn back to God or else God is going to destroy the land of Egypt. And God is going to take out his frustration and destroy the people if they do not obey God. Go back to verse number 11. I'll read from a contemporary version. When you eat the meal, be dressed and ready to travel. Have your sandals on and carry your walking stick in your hand and eat quickly. For this is the Passover festival in honor of me, your Lord. Verse number 12. And that same night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and kill the firstborn son in every family and the firstborn male of all the animals. For I am the Lord and I will punish the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Judgment will fall. I've told you over and over again. And judgment fell as God said it would happen. In scriptures, Egypt is often a type of world. Therefore, what happened to Egypt stands as a critical warning to us today. And that is the day of judgment for you and I is coming. A worldwide, universal day of judgment is coming. Every soul who refuses 
to hide behind the blood of Jesus Christ, behind the blood of the Lamb, will face the terrifying judgment of the Lord, just as the scripture that Anthon read in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, and I will make sure that judgment comes to all of the nation. This is the, uh, the clear declaration of God's word. Revelations chapter 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and in and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. The books was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And, he, and the sea gave up the dead where we were. Dead and death and Hades gave up the dead and were with them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, for this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the judgment that God is bringing about today. Now, I'm not here to get in the headlines of the Mars paper. I'm not here to debate the issues of the day, but my mind goes back. And I began to wonder, is God speaking to a nation today? Is God speaking to a nation today? In America, it seems like every week or every so often that another judge has come forth and is legalizing gay marriages, homosexual marriages. Is God judging a nation who is allowing this sacred institution that God set forth in his first miracle? Where God set forth and said, I will take a man and a woman and I will bind them in holy, holy, holy matrimony. A covenant that is made between a man and a woman. I will ordain that. But now we are disgracing the covenant of God and we are joining together man and man and woman and woman. Because that's the way God made me. That's the way I was born. God loves me anyway. God loved the Egyptians too, but he took them out, didn't he? Amen? We're disgracing the very foundation that God set forth in his word. And we're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. Hogwash! Judgment is coming to those who do not heed the call. God will bring judgment. Abortions are being even encouraged amongst young ladies. Encouraged to have abortions. It's my body. I can do with it what I want. In the name of Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. Oh, well, preacher, I've never had an abortion. And I'm not a homosexual. What about a gossiping tongue? Amen? What about loving the one on the other side of the church? Judgment. It's coming. I didn't say it. The word of God says it. The Old Testament says it. God stands for it. The day of judgment is coming. Our opportunities are wasting away day after day. They cried. The Egyptians cried, but their cry was too late. Israel began. Moses led the nation of Israel out. And they began their journey to go over into the promised land. They were heard that they were leaving and they were in hot pursuit. 
600 chariots were following behind them as they began their journey to go and to destroy the Israelites before they crossed over into the promised land. And Moses came to an obstacle and he saw a big red sea before him. And he thought to himself, what am I going to do? And he looked up to God and God says, do not cry to me, Moses. You take those Israelites and you press on, you stretch forth your staff. And Moses did as God said. And a great easterly wind came and it raised up the walls of that Red Sea. It dried the ground where the Israelites were to trod. And the Israelites rejoiced as they went across dry land, as the, the nation, as the Pharaoh's army came in. That dry ground became mucky. Those 600 chariots began to bog down in that, that Red Sea ground. And all of a sudden, when Moses reached over, he stretched forth his rod. And the, the wall of, of the wind stopped once again. And the wall of water crashed down and destroyed the Egyptian army and Pharaoh's army. But God's people were standing strong because why? They obeyed the God. They came to God in a cry of anguish. And they said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And at midnight, God delivered his people. There was a great cry. But God heard the cry at midnight. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We see a cry of great praise. Acts chapter 16. A cry of great praise. Paul and Silas. We're on their second missionary journey. They heard the Macedonian call. And Paul and Silas began to go to the, to the land of Philippi that God had called them to do. And as they got to Philippi, they found a group of ladies outside of the gate by a river praying. One of them being Lydia. And they went to Lydia and they said, minister to Lydia. Lydia was baptized and she invited them to her home. And as they were on the way to Lydia's home, they came across this demonic lady, this fortune teller, this one that the soothsayers were making money off of because they were telling the fortunes. She was telling fortunes and making money for these soothsayers. And they said, Paul says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that spirit to come out of you. And that spirit came out suddenly was removed from that demonic woman. And of course, this upset the soothsayers. This upset the ones that were profiting from the fortune teller. And as they were being upset, they took Paul and Silas and they threw them in a dungeon. Not even a dungeon. The Bible says they threw them in the inner part of the dungeon. Now, Paul and Silas find themselves in prison. The thing is, they're in prison not for doing wrong, but they're in prison for doing right. There was nothing to remind Paul and Silas of home. There was no home-cooked meal there. There was no mom or dad to come and visit them. Their bodies were beaten with rods. They were probably laying in their own blood. They were bruised. They were beaten. They were battered. What a miserable place this must have been. For Paul and Silas, they could have gone after those who tormented them. They could have complained to God for their lot. But you see, that's the way you and I would look at it. We would look at a prison. We would look at the inner prison. We would look at the bruises. We would feel the pain. 
We would feel the lack of food or the, the bad food. We would think about, there's no one here that we know other than Silas. This is the things that you and I would think about in our mind. But we're talking about Paul. We're talking about Paul. Read about Paul. To Paul, man, this was hot diggity dogs. I like this. Paul loved this. Because you know why? When Paul knew that his life was in danger, when Paul knew that he was beaten and battered, when Paul knew that the, the blows were coming against him, Paul knew that God was working out a plan in the life of Paul. Something good was fixing to happen in the life of Paul when he found himself in a dungeon beaten and battered. Paul was seldom affected by the circumstances around him. Paul says, let the stripes come. Paul says, allow the... the the shipwrecks to be many. Allow the rocks to fall even harder on my head. So this is the situation that Paul finds himself at. And then he says in verse number 25, about when, about when Paul and Silas were griping and grumbling. And why me, Lord? Why have you done this to me, oh Lord? When I was a kid, I used to have to watch Hee Haw. Y'all ever had to watch that down in the Caribbean? Did that come on here? I mean, we couldn't go out and play. We had to watch Lawrence Welch, and then we had to watch Hee Haw back to back on a Saturday. But I can remember this group of men that used to sit on the curb on Hee Haw, and they used to sing Room Despair and Agony on Me. Oh. Remember that one, Steve? Yeah? That's what Paul was doing, right? Paul said, oh, room despair and agony on me. No, Paul and Silas were praying and praising and singing hymns to God. We missed something. Let's back up to verse 24 because they got out of prison somewhere, right? Let's see. Verse number 24, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened them and feet and in stocks. You mean Paul and Silas are in prison? They're stocked in the inner prison. They're in feet. They're in stocks. They're beaten. They're laying in their own blood. And they're what? Praising God and singing hymns to God. This was a midnight. A midnight prayer meeting that Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas turned singing in prayer. Turned the prison cell into a church house. Paul and Silas turned the midnight into midday. Paul and Silas turned the cell into a sanctuary. What a thrilling picture that must have been as Paul and Silas were thrust into that inner prison with their feet in those stocks, lying in their own blood, living not in their own might, but living in the faith of God, not in the circumstances that they were in, but they were praising God for where they were. For nothing that could stop them from the victory that they were about to receive. Paul says, if I cannot pray in the house of Lydia, then I will pray in a prison cell. If I can't praise God at midday, I will praise God in midnight. The whole world became a sanctuary of God before them. What a marvelous victory this must have been for Paul and Silas. What is the lesson to you and I? The lesson is this. The circumstances 
However, the circumstances and wherever a Christian is, he praises God and prays to the Lord in the spirit of exuberant victory. Every child of God has something to praise God about. Even in the midnight hour, even when things are going right, we have something to praise God about. And even when we got 200 plus at Care Kitchen and the coffee pot don't work. Woo! We praise God. And you know what? We got the coffee pot working. Amen? My knee's killing me this morning. But praise God, I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. A many of a preacher this morning is in worse pain than me. A many of a preacher this morning is being persecuted for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. A many of a preacher this morning doesn't know when those doors bust through if somebody's going to come kill them for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What in the world do I got to gripe about this morning? About an old knee? Thank God I got a knee that aches. Some of you backsides are hurting sitting in those bitches. Praise God you got some bitch to sit on. Some of you got a headache. You sure ought to praise God you got a headache this morning. Folks, the child of God has something to praise God about. But look in here. What happened? I didn't finish. Verse number 25. And suddenly, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has. Oh, no, no. The prison, Paul and Silas are in the inner dungeon. But the prisoners are listening to them. Now, I would like to show you how I think they praise in God, but some of you would leave right now, okay? So leave it to your imagination, but be honest. Think about it. These guys weren't sitting there meddling, peddling around in their hands in their pockets. They were absolutely worshiping and praising God. For God was working out a plan in their life. Paul and Silas were praising and the prisoners heard the words that they had to say. But look what happens next. Because they praised God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Why do you suppose these men sitting in this dungeon cell, sitting in this cold, damp inner dungeon with blood upon their bodies, could sit there and praise God? It was their custom. Paul and Silas knew no other way to do it. It was just embedded within their lifestyle. It's the only thing they knew to do was to praise God. I tell you this this morning, whatever Paul and Silas had, we need a double portion of it this morning. Whatever Paul and Silas have, God, give it to us. A double portion, hand pressed, shaken together and overflowing within our bodies this morning. There was a cry of great praise. But look at the results that happened. Verse number 27. When the jailer woke. And he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword out about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourselves, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uncle Frankie, that's some of the sweetest words. That those who are witnessing to those around us could hear. What do I need to do to hear to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them and all who were with them in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before him and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Why did he believe in God? Go back to verse number 25. Because there was a cry, a midnight cry of great praise that Paul and Silas lifted up to God. And as they praised God, that earthquake came and delivered the people. And the jailer was won over to Jesus Christ. All because Paul and Silas praised God. What if? What if? What would happen if we this morning were not to be so reserved, not to be worried about is so-and-so across beside me worried if I raise my hands and worship and praise unto God? What if we wouldn't be so traditional and say, we got to do it this way. No, what if we allow the Spirit of God to freely move within us and do what we really want to do, and that's to worship and lift our hands and praise God this morning? What would happen if we would allow the Spirit of God to move within us? As these speakers go throughout this town this morning, what if the invitation was giving People heard the people coming to Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, asking for forgiveness of sin. What if we had an old-fashioned testimony service where people came and said, this is what God did for me, and I want to give God all the praise and glory and honor because of what He's done for me. He healed my body. He met my finances. He saved my lost son or daughter. This is what God has done for me. And folks, if the world can hear it, that is a testimony of praise that comes in the midnight hour. But we, as a people of God, have got to give up. we got to quit playing church. We gotta quit being so doctrinal. We got to give out and give our glory and praise and honor to God. I gotta close. Matthew chapter 25. This is the final one. Matthew chapter 25. We see a great cry of release. Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the ten virgins is given to us to accentuate The incalculable importance of being spiritually prepared to meet Christ when he returns to earth. The setting of this parable is a typical Jewish wedding. The typical Jewish wedding was three parts. Number one was the engagement. At the engagement, surprisingly, the couple very seldom would attend. The engagement was constructed of the father of the groom, and the father of the bride. And they would come and they would make a contract. Some of you get fixed and give up your daughters. Don't give any ideas, okay? But there was a contract between the two fathers. And then there would be the betrothal period. And during this period would be the actual wedding ceremony. But they would exchange the vows and make a covenant one with another. But during this time, even though they were legally married... They would not live together. They would not consummate the marriage at that time. Oftentimes the male would go out and 
start a business, learn a trade, find a home. Sometimes this was a couple of months, almost been up to a year in some cases, that they would have this betrothal period. But at the conclusion of this betrothal period would be the wedding feast. And at the wedding feast, the bride and the bridesmaids were gathered at the home. And there the groom and the groom would, the groomsmen, they would come and they would get the bridegroom. So Jesus is using a parable here of a wedding feast. And it's meant to illustrate the truth that Jesus himself had been teaching about his coming again. Here these, they would come and they would get the brides and the bridemaids. And there they would oftentimes, uh, most times, the festival would begin at the nighttime. So they would take the lamps with them. And there they would begin the feast, begin the parade up and down the streets, letting the public know that the wedding feast was about to happen. Most wedding feasts would have last for about a week. But they would take their lanterns at night and they would begin to maneuver up and down the streets to allow the community. The, 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 the wedding feast was for all the community to come. Everyone was invited. They didn't have to spend all this money on the invitation. Just everybody come. You can hear it come. So they would take their lanterns and they would begin the parade. But in this parable of the ten foolish and the ten wise, five of them, all of them had lamps, but five had oil. And five had no oil. It was here that Jesus would come to judge sinners and reward and the righteous people. That people must be ready and that his coming was unexpected. The central truth is this. That once he had arrived, there would be no second chances. And the opportunity for salvation would be gone forever. Verse number five. But at when, when there was a cry, there was a midnight cry. And surely this is where I have to read deep, you know, because you got to calm down. There was a midnight cry that what? Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet her. The cry was given. The midnight hour was upon them. The great cry was given to come out and meet the bride. Five had oil in their lanterns. Five had no oil. They said to themselves, well, we'll just go down and we'll get some oil and put into our lamps. But the shops were closed. Oh, well, they got oil. Give us some of your oil. No. If we give you oil, then we won't have enough oil for the, for us. But at midnight, all of the bridegroom knew that the, that the engagement had taken place. They knew that the betrothal period had passed. But they knew that it was time for the great wedding feast. And as soon as the bridegroom presence was announced, all of those virgins trimmed their lamps. And at that very moment, the foolish bridesmaid realized their predicament. And they realized they had no oil within their lamps. Perhaps they were thinking of taking some from their friends, but they did not want to give it up. No reason is given for this negligence. No doubt because the reason is irrelevant, because they had ample warning. They had ample warning that the bridegroom was coming 
And they had ample opportunity to be totally prepared for his rival and nothing could excuse their failure. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. They, while they were going, listen, while they were gone to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. You and I, those who are Christians, we're a spouse to the Lord. We are engaged to the Lord. We are married to the Lord. Our oil lamps are foil, full. The lanterns are lit. We've already trimmed the lanterns. But to some of us here this morning, under the sound of my voice, under the sound of God's message this morning, you have a lamp. You look good. The lamp is there before us this morning. You're ready to walk down the parade streets. You're ready to go down and, and meet the bridegroom. You're ready to begin the festival. The problem is no oil. Folks, a lantern without oil is no good. A profession of Jesus Christ without a divine commitment to Jesus Christ is worthless. We can say all we want that we are saved and that we know Jesus Christ but unless we have the oil in our lamp, the door will be shut when the midnight hour comes. And that'll be it. Done. Preacher, you trying to scare me. You doggone right I'm trying to scare you. Because that's what the Word of God says. The door will be shut. That's it. No more. Head God. Come on, Brother Anton. Midnight. Midnight. A powerful word within the pages of our scripture this morning. You see, for many of us, that waiting on the bride, on the groom, it's going to be one of the, it's going to be the greatest day you've ever known. But for those who the oil is no, not full, it's going to be the end of your chance to know Jesus Christ. I don't mean to scare you. I just tell you the way it is. Jesus is coming. Andre Crouch wrote a song several years ago, said, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Folks, that song is more true now than it's ever been. The engagement's done. The betrothal is done. The grooms are on their way. All we're waiting for. He's here. It could be done before we leave this morning. Before we say the benediction this morning. You got a chance. Come fill your oil lamps this morning. Father, again, we're so grateful. Speak to hearts this morning, Lord. Convict us of your spirit this morning.
Lord, if our oil lamps aren't full right now, reveal it to us. Lord, even if we got half of it, let's get a full belly load of oil in our lamps this morning. But Father, we know that we want to go to heaven. and We know that soon and very soon that we're going to see Jesus. That is our destination. Father, I want to know that I know that I know that I know my lamp is full this morning because the midnight is coming. If you're here this morning, you never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And before we leave this place, you want to just slip your hand up and you want to say, pray with me. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. Never done it. Never will do it. Just want to pray a simple prayer with you. But you pray it in honesty and sincerity and you believe what you're saying and you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin. You too will be saved. And when that door is shut, you will see Jesus Christ. Anybody here this morning want to raise their hand and say, I want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Anybody in the balcony? Anybody downstairs? Yes, down here in front. Anybody else wants to know that they know that they know that they know that their oil lamp is full this morning? Will you raise your hand this morning? Everyone pray with me. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have come short of the calling of God. Pray it with me. And Father, right now, I know that you died for my sins. I know that you will forgive me of my sins this morning. And Father, right now, I invite you to come into my heart. Make me a child of the God. Fill my cup up this morning. Fill my lantern this morning. So when that midnight hour comes, I know that I will see my Jesus. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.